patience. It's one of those things that we all need more of, I think. But patience for a person with mental illness creates challenges. And I want to outline some of those challenges and some of the strategies that I use to increase patience in my life. I'm going to talk about that and more. Shattered the podcast, subscribe, like, and share. Let's go. So, I think I'm a good dad. I believe I'm a better husband. I do not lose my cool with my wife. I do not argue with her. We don't have knock down, drag out arguments. Never have, never will. Because it's not in her makeup. My kids, though, and I guess everybody's kids, are experts, super experts, Nobel Prize winners in frustrating me and pushing my buttons. <laughs> it's so interesting the relationship I have with my own parents when I think about when I was a kid, the stupid stuff that I did, the lies that I told, the things I tried to get away with. I mean, there's so many times that my kids do stuff and I just look at them and I think, how dumb do you think I am? It's because they think I'm an idiot. <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> and I mean, that's endemic. That's every kid everywhere. Goes through all these stages of learning. But when I'm good, when I'm in a good headspace, kids really can't rattle me at all. Nothing they say frustrates me or upsets me. When I'm in a bad time, a look, a sentence, emotion, <laughs> a verbal communication can be that proverbial red flag to the bull. And it's with no small amount of shame that I admit this. Like I said, I believe I'm a better husband than I am a father. And I want to try to be a good dad. One of the key lessons I learned right from the beginning is to have patience. See, in my family, when I was growing up, we were the typical volatile Irish family. And I didn't know this at the time. I just thought that, you know, we're Australian and that's it. But the more I learn about my ancestors and my history, the more I find out that, that Irish people have a lot of passion, believe things deeply, defend themselves deeply. And I grew up in a very Irish home, if that is how you want to categorize it. We were all passionate people. We all had a heightened sense of justice. We all would defend ourselves 
against perceived attacks, loud, verbally, and violently sometimes. It was just normal to me. And I need to impress on you, I don't see this as being a bad thing. Because through that violence came a lot of good, a lot of understanding. Because, yeah, we would fight, and we would fight hard. But it was never to the point of, okay, this is going to end our relationship. I don't think any of us ever went into an argument with the idea that this is the end. It was always, there has to be a resolution. I can't see it at the moment. You're not seeing things my way. So I will leap to my own defense. It's something that I want to instill in my children. To be honest with you, I want them to be willing to fight for themselves, to fight for their opinion, particularly my girls. I don't want them to be women that accept the status quo. I want them to have high expectations for boyfriends. I want them to be demanding in those relationships. This is what I expect. And if I don't get it, you're done. Now, I'm not talking about them running a rough shot over people and being the pants in the family and all that sort of gear. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I want them to believe in their own opinion and I want them to be able to advocate for themselves passionately if they need to. Now, my wife considers it a failing of hers that she doesn't argue that she doesn't stand up and have those knockdown, drawn-out fights, particularly at work with co-workers and stuff. But while in some cases that she talks to me, I advocate her standing up for herself and deliberately confronting a situation, she just won't do that. She'll do it in her own way. And it's a quiet way and it's a patient way and it's a long-suffering way. It's a very English way of dealing with confrontation. Uh, ignore it and hope for the best. Now, again, I do not criticize my parents for the way that I was raised. When I was young, I could only see the negatives. Youth is wasted on the young. I agree with that. I wish I appreciated younger how much my parents sacrificed and gave for me. And I'm not talking about the financial stuff. I'm talking the emotional stuff. I don't know how they put up with me. <laughs> I, at the time, pretended that I'd been kicked out of the home, but I had never been kicked out. My parents never threw me out on the street. And while I was an exchange student in America, I was put out on the street. So I know what that looks and feels like. My parents never, ever did that. And I could never see myself doing that with my kids. My oldest daughter is already doing stuff that I don't like. 
she talks in ways that I cannot stand, but it's her finding her personality. Now, all this to this point is just the musings of a dad. But let's factor in mental illness into that equation. Let's talk about the fact that I have, when I say, and I want to explain this better than I have before, I have no self-image in that I don't believe in myself at all. At the moment, I don't quite hate myself. Um, Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm indifferent. But I don't have a self-image. I don't believe that there's anything about me that is worthwhile. (laughs) And that's why I'm expecting you to listen to my podcast. (laughs) And that's the thing with mental illness is everything inside me is saying that this is a waste of time. That this has no purpose. But I know for a fact, because my wife has told me, and I've seen it through students at the and adults that I um, go and speak to, they appreciate the fact that I'm willing to talk about things that people won't normally talk about. But getting back to mental illness and patience. Today I had a fail. My daughter was doing something technical. It wasn't going exactly right. Um, Unless I'm in the correct mindset, I am a terrible teacher. Because it's, just do it. Why aren't you doing it? Do it right. Come on. (laughs) When I'm in a good headspace, in the workplace, whatever, I'm an excellent teacher. And I drop the ball so much with my kids and so often. All right. Okay. So let's talk about why. So we've talked about the marathon. I constantly feel like I'm running a mental marathon. It can get turned off when I'm watching TV sometimes. It can be turned off when I'm playing a game on a PlayStation. Um, But otherwise, I'm in this constant race to basically nowhere. I'm running for no particular reason. Um, I'm like Forrest Gump. I just keep running until I run out of road and then I turn around and run the other way. Well, that's what I feel like I'm doing emotionally. There is no end to the marathon. It's going to just keep going and keep going and keep going. So when somebody interrupts that marathon, whenever somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I need you to do this, it's frustrating. You want to scream, don't you know what I'm going through? And of course they don't because I now know, and I didn't realize this, this is my face in a crisis. And if you've got the video, this will be much easier to see. This is my face in a crisis. This is my face, not in a crisis. 
for people listening through the audio podcast, my face didn't change at all. <laughs> I seem to have the blank, the same blank, cranky expression no matter what I'm going through. So patience, having patience, being patient. I'm in the middle of this marathon. Somebody comes up to me driving a car and says, I want you to drive to the shops and buy me a loaf of bread. And I say, do you need a loaf of bread? No, I don't. I just want you to buy it for me. It doesn't make sense to me in that moment. I cannot comprehend that you want me to do something so immaterial to what I'm going through, something so inconsequential. And I've learned, as I did today, to arrest that thinking when I see it, to be mindful of what I'm thinking of. I'm getting frustrated at you for asking me to do something which is a perfectly natural thing for you to do. So I told her I was going to help with some stuff this morning. I started helping and I got frustrated and I started snapping and I had to walk away because I was failing. I was putting her in a position where she couldn't win and I was definitely in a position where there was no winning. So I went to my wife, explained what was going on and then I went and hidden out here actually in the studio. Part of me is tempted to call that cowardice. Part of me is tempted to say, well, you know, you can't face your problems, so you run away from them. The other part of me says, well done. It's like I was about to dive into shark-infested waters, and at the last moment I decided not to. Sure, I missed out on a swim in pristine waters, but I could have got eaten by a shark. And it's tempting when you're frustrated to lash out. You want to. It seems like a good idea. You feel like all this pent-up frustration is going to be released and you'll feel better. You never do. So, a person with mental illness. You've interrupted them in the middle of their mental marathon. There's a couple of keys here that you need to know. One, when I'm in the middle of a crisis, it's not the time to talk to me. When I'm in the middle of the crisis, it's like I'm running two marathons at the same time. It's two of me running a different marathon. And it's twice as long as the marathon I was running before. And I'm just consumed with my pain, my thoughts, my struggle. You may be able to talk me out of it. My wife tells me to breathe. That's all she says. If uh, I am in a car accident and somebody hit me years ago, I call my wife and say, there's been an accident and I don't know what to do. And all she says is one word. She doesn't say anything else. She just says, breathe. She might say, Remember to breathe, something along those lines, but it's always short, it's always to the point, and it's a code that I am aware of and I've hardwired into my head. As soon as my wife says, breathe, 
I know that I need to stop. I need to emotionally disengage from whatever it is that I'm involved in and I need to step back, need to breathe, need to realize that I'm safe because that for me is probably the biggest thing. I feel unsafe. I feel attacked. Always. (laughs) You need that shorthand with the person. And it might be something as little as just a, uh, are you okay? You know, doing the okay sign. Is everything all right? Might be a number. What number are you at the moment? What color are you at the moment? So an easy question that I can get my head around easily and that I have acknowledged and appreciate as being a trigger for that positive behavior. So when my wife says breathe, I instantly stop because I've given her permission to say it when I'm not super stressed out. I know that she's not going to, okay, everything's fine, everything's going to be okay, because that just makes the dial go even further into the red. She just says breathe. And we have both learned that when I'm in an anxious state, these simple reminders, not commands, but reminders, are the way that I am able to respond to her when I'm not functioning well mentally. So you need to talk to your person with mental illness. They need to decide. If you've got a mental illness, you need to find somebody that you can trust that you can call at a moment's notice and say, if I ever call you in a panic, please remind me to do this. Have I been mindful? What are the butterflies doing? Um, Whatever phrase will get you to remove yourself emotionally from a situation and sometimes physically need to walk away, need to shut your eyes, Go to your happy place, your safe place. My safe place is uh, uh, in the early 90s, I was swimming at a beach in Sydney and I went out past the breakers. I went out past the shark net and I duck dived and it was probably about 10 meters to the bottom. I got about halfway. I don't know. My ears weren't hurting or anything. I was very, very comfortable. The sun was shining brilliantly and it felt like I could see for miles. Felt like I could see the entire bottom of the ocean going into eternity. And it was beautiful and it was calm and it was quiet. It took me a long time to realize that That's one memory that my mental illness has not destroyed. It is a safe place for me. Even today, I love being under the water. I just love it. It's calming. (laughs) It's probably putting me back in the womb or something. I don't know. The patience has come from my wife prompting me saying breathe or you know (laughs) you need to get out of here that's another one 
Um, you need to go sit down. That's a good one. These are all simple phrases that are delivered with an attitude of love. Sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes it's anger at me. Why are you being like this? I'm sick of it. But they're phrases that have helped me to understand when I am being impatient because that's not what I want. I don't want to be a dad that my kids are afraid to come to at any time. They should always believe that they are 100% safe with me, safe from, from criticism, safe physically and emotionally, so that they know that my dad will always have, he's always in my corner. Finding patience is never easy when you've got a mental illness, but it's worth the fight. So it's about acknowledging situations that make you frustrated. We have a couple in my house. If I need to help somebody set up something technologically, I need them to go out of the room. I can't sit with them and talk them through it. I just can't. Um, I can't get them to do jobs around the house. I, like I write a list, I put it on the bench, I walk away. I can't stand over them while they're doing their tasks because they're constantly not doing it well enough. And that's not the end goal of doing chores around the house. I mean, yes, it is to achieve cleanliness or whatever, but it's more about them being enthused to be helpful around the house and giving it their best. And if their best is fairly weak, I have to be okay with that. So, I set the jobs, I tell the kids what jobs to do. If I'm feeling okay, I might stand there and prompt a little bit. But as soon as I start to get a little bit frustrated, I walk away. And my kids know that. We've talked to them. We've said, look, if dad just ever walks away, it's not because he doesn't love you and it's not because it's, he's mad at you. He's just controlling himself. And I'll always come back and apologize, let them know what happened. Now, I've talked a lot about my kids. For some reason, I find it easy to be kind <laughs> to strangers, to people I don't know. In fact, I went to a school the other week and uh, a person, an adult, came up to me. Mark, what are you doing here? Oh, how are you doing, mate? I'm with me, Act. We're, we're here at a school to speak. And she said, well, what are you going to speak about? And I said, oh, I just talk about the lived experience with mental illness. And she looked at me blank. She had no idea that I had a mental illness. Um, she caught up with me later and just said that she'd known me for 10 years since my kids were little, never been to my house, never sat down with us, but an acquaintance, somebody I'd speak to at school and, you know, have, have over for birthday parties for the kids and that sort of thing. So I know them well, but she just said, you come across so confident and so upbeat that she never would have considered that I struggle with mental illness. 
And that does make it tough. Because you start thinking about, you know, how they're going to feel about you. Whether their attitude towards you has changed. But as I said, I find it easy to be patient with people I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm already on my defensive when I'm outside, when I'm at the shops, when I'm at the kids' schools. I've mentally prepared myself. I've reminded myself that I'm safe. I've reminded myself of why I'm safe. And I'm very clear on what I'm there to do. Um, If it's to have a meeting with a teacher, that's the ball that I juggle at that moment. I don't think about anything else. I think about dealing with the teacher and the issues regarding my kids. But it doesn't mean that I'm always patient. At times, I'm absolutely fuming (laughs) at people and I still look like this. Exactly the same as I look at any other time. For a person with mental illness... It is easy to get into a victim mentality of I'm impatient and it's not my fault. It's the fault of my mental illness. It's a dangerous road to go down because as soon as you start excusing behavior as being out of control simply because you have a mental illness, it's a dangerous path. You're setting yourself up to fail. Now, I know that I have some behaviors that I can't control. And I'm aware of those and I avoid situations where those behaviors might become apparent as much as I can. And if I'm going into a situation which could be a trigger, I've got my safety team around me. I've discussed strategies with my wife or my friend or whoever I'm with. They understand that I might leave abruptly. Um, It's all about that pre-planning. It's funny the word victim, because when you've got a mental illness, yes, you are struggling with something out of your control. And yes, it is easy to see yourself as an innocent person affected by something that you can't control. But it's important to note that you cannot heal, get better, for want of a better word, unless you take ownership of your behaviours. Unless you say, at some point, this was my fault. I didn't, I, I put myself in a dangerous situation. I put myself in a situation where I wasn't in control. I, I did something to lend itself to that behavior. Now, I might not be responsible for the fight or flight response once it really kicks in and I give over to it, but I am responsible for the things that happened in the lead up. And I have to take ownership of that. I have to be able to say, you know what? I screwed up. This is my fault. Because as soon as you start saying it's not my fault, 
then there's no reason to alter that behavior. I can't fix this, so I'm not even going to try. I don't have the mental stamina to fix this. And this is where you need to start figuring out what can I control in this area? What do I have control over? Well, I have control of where I go, who I spend time with. I have control over how much they know about my situation. I have control about how long I'm at a certain place. These things, these surrounding influences, you have to acknowledge them, but you can't blame them because you're the one. It takes two people to make a behavior. You to do it and somebody else to say it. Unless you're by yourself, <laughs> of course. I did not realize how tough today was going to be. I have bared my soul in ways that have been a little bit uncomfortable today. In fact, they've been a lot of bit uncomfortable. But if you're going to really understand, you need to know what's going on in my head. You need to be aware that Under the surface, there is so much going on, like that proverbial duck on the water. Underneath, its legs are going a thousand miles a minute. But on the surface, they look completely serene, calm, comfortable. Now, nobody has ever given me a hard time when they find out how much I have to work or how hard I have to work. I've never had somebody say, well, that's just pathetic. But it's the constant fear that you think that people are going to think that, even though that's completely irrational. You are in control. You do have choices that you can make. Don't allow yourself to become a perpetual victim And if you have already, start to change it. Look at the things that you can alter. Look at the things that you can control and control those things. To the exclusion of all others. First time I did a French goodbye, an Irish goodbye from a party, I felt like a heel. I felt like an absolute jerk. The fact that I just left. Went and got my car and went home. But I needed to. To be mentally healthy, I needed to get out in that moment. I had to be brutal. And yes, I had to face a lot of questions about it. Now, 15 years later, people get it. People know that I'm going to show up for as long as I can and then I have to go. And I'm sorry. Um, I use the euphemism, I'm not feeling well, and I go. And people get it. Oh, okay, you know well. No worries, man. I'll tell everybody whatever. Or if I'm just gone, huh, he wasn't feeling well. 
it is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing struggle, but it's one that's worth it. If it make, allows you to feel like you have a modicum of control over how patient you are, is look at those external factors, deal with the external factors, and then worry about the actual interaction. I do hope that you're subscribing, liking, and sharing everything. Every like, every share helps us with our numbers, and helps YouTube to understand that people are enjoying the show. And the more people that enjoy it, like, subscribe, and share, the more that the algorithms will change to promote Shattered the Podcast more. So I encourage you, subscribe, like, and share. Help us out. Join the conversation. Have a great week. I will be chatting to Mary, marriage and mental illness. That's coming up on Wednesday. Not sure what we're talking about today. Last week's was hardcore. And as I said, I'm going to be interviewing somebody this week that I know you're going to love. She's got an incredible story. And that will come out on Friday. Have a great week, everybody. I hope to talk to you again soon. Bye for now.